Thank you very much. It's great to be with you again. And uh, just got back from overseas and a chance to come on down and enjoy the Northwest Washington weather, the return of some moisture. We needed that, right? Yeah. So um, God woke me up. Uh, I, well, I just got back from overseas, so I've not been sleeping really great, but it's not terrible. I'm just not sure what time zone I'm in. But about 3 o'clock this morning, God was speaking to me for you guys and what to share on you, uh, share with you. And uh, so I'm going to talk about finding your identity, which is a topic that is very relevant to what Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, when we find our true identity, we give life to our world. Uh, I didn't say when we find our true identity, we give life to the world. It's more specific than that. I've told you before that Jesus did not pray for the world. He prayed for those that God gave him. And in, because of that, he was able to give his life for the whole world. And in the same way that the Father sent him to those that God had given him, he sent us to those that God has given us. So every one of us has a sphere, has an influence. There's, there's a bubble, if you will. There's an expanding bubble of our influence. And if we all bring life to our world, We'll bring life to the whole world. But if we get distracted by the world, we'll miss being life to our world. And so the enemy doesn't mind us getting spread so thin we can't give life to our world. He'd rather us think about the world than our world. Okay? You can. You can think about the world and our world. It's just that when you're not giving your life to a few, sometimes it becomes thinned out by trying to give your life to the whole world. Okay? If you're trying to love the world instead of loving those that are in your world, sometimes you're distracted by the, the world and you can even get um, judgmental of the world. <laughs> because the world is not going to be... Uh, you know, I'm, I am the husband to my wife but I'm not the husband to anyone else. And my wife doesn't need a husband. She needs her husband. I'm a father to three children, and I'm a father to Jonathan. I'm a father to Aaron. I'm a father to Joanna. But Jonathan doesn't need me to be the father to Aaron. He needs me to be Jonathan's father. Aaron needs me to be Aaron's dad. Joanna needs me to be Joanna's dad. Same with my grandchildren. They don't need a dad. They don't need a grandpa. They need their grandpa. They need their dad. So that's my world. So I got to learn to pray for my world instead of just being a generic dad or a generic husband or a generic friend. And so God's been speaking to me a lot on this subject I was actually challenged by my son, the pastor of Abundant Life, my pastor in our local church, uh, challenged us in July to take some time to indulge in the last thing that God said to you. Take some time to fast and pray, fast. Maybe don't eat, maybe get rid of something that you like for a little bit, make a little sacrifice to make sure that you can spend some time indulging in what is God saying to you. And so he challenged us to take some time to indulge in the last thing that God said to you, like Jesus did when 
he went into the wilderness. He spent 40 days indulging on the words, this is my son whom, whom I'm very pleased. So he soaked up his father's words for 40 days. My dad's really pleased with me. So when the devil tempted him, his armor was, my dad's really pleased with me. So he could quickly recognize a voice that was not his dad. So when a voice came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones become bread, he didn't fall for that voice because it was written in his heart and written in his mind the voice, what the voice of his dad sounded like. And the voice of his dad didn't sound like, you've got to prove you're a son. Oh, the voice of his dad was, this is my son. I'm very pleased. You don't have to do anything. So he indulged in that. So I went and spent some time in the mountains and in pre-hunting season. And then some hunting season opened up. And, and uh, we had some wonderful weather for hunting. We didn't have good weather for harvesting, but we had wonderful weather for hunting. It was really warm. We had a late summer, which means you can go to the mountains and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and not get anything. <laughs> it's like if you want to go fishing, don't buy a fishing license, buy a catching license if you want fish. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to fish and fish and fish. And, no, anyway, it's a joke. But So I spent lots of time hunting, but I did spend some time indulging in what God said to me. So I went to the mountains thinking, God, you've been speaking to me this year a lot. What do I indulge in? You're talking to me a lot. And he challenged me to focus on a word that he spoke to me 11 years ago when I transitioned the church, when God transitioned the church to my son. God gave me a training camp, and it was instant, overnight, 35 acres, training facility, fulfill my heart's desire of equipping the next generation. And out of my spirit, I said, God, you're my friend. And then 18 months later, I lost it all. The monies didn't come in to purchase it. Students didn't come in to make it go like it should. And overnight, I lost it all. And I went to God, and I said, God, what is the deal? And God said, how did you enter this thing? And I said, you were my friend. He said, good, leave the same way you entered. So I left what looked like failure, knowing that God is my friend. I entered what looked like success, knowing what God is my friend. So what is not today could be tomorrow because God's your friend. What looks like loss today could be an instant change tomorrow. Why? God is your friend. So I've been indulging for the last several months on the fact that God is my friend. And then God's been telling me that I need to see him in people. And I said, God, this is a little tough because I'm 67, which means I've been around a while. And I've had some friends misunderstand me. And they aren't my friend anymore. I've had some friends even get deceived and betray me. Uh, and I'm old enough, I've had a few friends die. <laughs> and so I'm not sure I understand. If you want me to see friends in pieces, I have to be honest with you. I'm wounded in the area of friends. And God said, okay. Then he reminded me of something my wife teaches. And my wife has taught me this. She actually learned it somewhere else, but she learned it so well she owns it. She says that friends come in pieces. So if you want to be her best friend, you can only be at peace because no human being can be your friend, God. But every human being can be, any human being can be a piece of God, your friend. If you're looking for your friend, God, but if you're looking for that person to be everything that God is, you're going to be disappointed because they can't be that level of a friend. 
Then God's been teaching me about that friends don't need anything. So I was hunting elk. I was down south by Mount Rainier, Mount Mount St. Helens. And and I was down there hunting and I was in the woods and this man came out of the woods. His name was Glenn and he was 80 years old. He was hunting birds. He was hunting pheasant. I was hunting elk. And I was taking a little break and he was coming in from hunting. And I struck up a little conversation with him and he began to tell me his story. And God said, I want you to listen to his story. Glenn needs a friend. So he told me his wife had passed away four years ago, and he had this new dog, Golden Lab, nice dog, three years old. He wasn't going to get the Golden Lab because he had a previous dog that died, and it died kind of right after his wife died, and so he wasn't sure he wanted another dog. And then he thought, if I get a dog, I probably died before the dog, so where's the dog going to go? And so he thought, well, he talked to his daughter, and his daughter liked dogs. And so he thought, well, there's a place for the dog to go. So I realized that this dog was this man's friend, okay, and that his wife was his friend. And really, they were all pieces of his friend God. Then he began to tell me, he says, I didn't hunt this morning because I'm a believer in Jesus. And we had a men's meeting this morning. I felt it was important to go there. And I said, you know, I'm a believer also for 50 years, and I think you made a wise decision there. That's very important. He said, tomorrow I won't be here because it's Sunday and I'm going to go to church. I think that's good. I said, I think that's very good. I think that's a a very important thing for you to do. And so, and I was going to tell him, I began to think about telling him my story. And God said, no, don't tell him your story. He, He needs a friend. See, a friend doesn't need anything. A friend gives life. And what Glenn needed was someone to listen to his story. He didn't need someone to tell them their story. And so it was me finding God, my friend, in the woods. Because he was a friend to me by getting me to just listen and draw his story out. I even left that conversation thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind having a dog. Now, you got to know me personally. I'm not a big dog lover. But you know what? I could see in a situation like Glenn that I would want to get a dog. Yeah, because that dog is a friend that fills a whole friendship. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, the Holy Spirit may be touching things as we're talking today, and that's good. (laughs) Because we're in a season where God wants us, the family of God, to know that he's our friend before he's our Lord. He's our friend before he's our creator. Because that's what a friend does. He creates. He brings boundaries of life. He's our friend before he's our healer. Why? That's what friends do. Friends bring healing. He's our friend before he's our deliverer. Why? That's what friends do. They bring deliverance. So God is a friend. He's always wanted to be a friend. Number one thing. Matter of fact, in the very beginning... When man was created, we have, a, we have a, you know, I have electronic version, so it's not as thick. Bryce has a small print one, so it's not as thick as they can be, but a Bible is pretty thick. It's got 66 books that make up that Bible. And like first, maybe first four or five pages is going to get you through Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two into Genesis chapter three. Only a few pages. 
And so you have God looking at a situation that's formless, void, and dark. A friend looks at a situation that's formless, void, and dark. And because he's a friend, he doesn't need anything. He's a giver of life. Acts 17 says he gives life, he gives breath, and he gives all things. That's what friends do. So he looks at a situation that's formless, void, and dark, a situation that needs a friend, someone who can give life, give breath, and give all things. And so the friend speaks, let there be light. From his perspective, he sees the end from the beginning. Genesis 2 is how did that feel? It's not chronologically following Genesis 1. It's another version of the story. It's from human perspective. What did that look like when God looked at a situation that was formless, void, and dark and spoke life? How did that feel? Well, it felt like someone taking the dust that I am and forming me and then breathing in me life. And then that same friend took the time to plant a garden and took me. That friend took me and put me in that garden. And then that friend commanded me to eat of every tree of the garden except for one. He said, don't eat that. And the day you eat it, you'll die. That sounded like this. The friend commanded, eat, 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 don't touch that one, it'll kill you. See, God the friend didn't kill anybody for sinning. Sin disconnects you from your friend, and if you're disconnected from the friend who gives life, you're going to die. And the friend knew that. If you disconnect from eternal life, you're going to have something less than eternal life. Don't do that. I've given you plenty of options for life. Eat, 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 eat. It didn't say that God commanded the man not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says God commanded man to eat of every tree of the garden, except for one. He said, do not eat of it, for it will kill you. So God never killed sinners. So then in Genesis 3, we have an account now where Adam and Eve, Eve gets deceived, Adam buys into the deception, man, male and female, now become disconnected from God in their hearts. And God shows up in the cool of the day, which is the normal pattern of the friend. You know, God likes it. I woke up this morning. I didn't quite make my six-mile run. It got rainy. I made two and a half miles before the rain started hitting me, so I, I, I called that good for today. But I usually run six miles in the morning. And in the morning, when I'm running six miles, I worship and I say good morning to my friend. And my friend has a pattern of this. He likes to show up at the end of the day to see how my day went. He likes that I seek him at the beginning of my day, but he really loves to show up at the end of the day to see how everything went. Now, he was always with me every moment, but he gave me some independence to make some decisions in our relationship, and then he just wants to see how fruitful, how much life happened today. So God shows up in the cool of the day. Now, I think he knew that Adam and Eve had made the big mistake. We call it the big mistake. Okay? But God didn't, didn't shake the friend. He walked up and he said, Adam, Adam, hey, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you at? And Adam said, we heard you coming and we felt afraid. We felt ashamed. So we hid ourselves. 
You see, when you don't know that God is your friend, you'll hide from him. When you forget who he is, you'll hide from him. You see, sin didn't stop the friend from saying, Adam, where are you at? Sin stopped us from seeing God as our friend. And it put shame on us. Our friend never put shame on anyone. Our friend loves us so much, he sent his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, but that through him they might be saved. You see, we were already condemned because we were hiding from our friend. You see, our friend gives life. Our friend gives breath. Our friend gives all things. So God's been teaching me about this friend, God. And he's been my friend. I've been experiencing lots of things. I was just in Portugal for three weeks. Experienced some uh, amazing things. Watching my friend touch people. And being able to be a friend. Being able to be in situations where I didn't need anything. <laughs> Matter of fact, at the beginning of the year, God told me. He told me a couple of things. He told me that this is a year of peace. Then we had wars and a bunch of stuff break out and. Uh, but I've discovered that peace, actually, now I would tell you, peace is a testimony of your friend. That's right. There's no gap between you and your friend. That's peace. Doesn't matter if it's a good day, bad day. Doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. I've got peace. My friend and I are joined. I'm connected to my friend in the morning, and my friend shows up in the cool of my day. Right? And then God told me at the beginning of the year, he said, also, he said, it's a year of peace. He said, but I want you to give me something. He said, I want you to give me your need to influence anyone. You don't need to influence anyone. And I had an amazing moment. There was just the Holy Spirit gave me a grace to release in my heart my need to influence anybody. It was in a moment. It was like, you, know, you know those moments when it's not in your head, but it came from your spirit. And then two weeks later, God came to me and he says, I want you to, to uh, you gave me your need to influence anybody, but I want you to know they need you to influence them. In other words, I don't need to influence anyone, but they need me to influence them because I'm a friend. I have life to give to them. You don't, you, you should not need anyone to influence you or you to influence anybody. But you do need to influence somebody because you're a giver of life. But not because you need it, it's because they need it. Amen. You see, a friend meets the needs of others. A friend loves. My wife and I, the key to our marriage, we were married 45 years, it'll be 46 this next year in May. And in 45 years, we're growing in our friendship, which means we don't need anything from one another. But we choose to give, like our Father, life, breath, and all things. We give life. We give, we give in a way that helps them become an expression of life, breath. And we partner with them to be them. Now, we're finding that when a husband gives life, helps that wife be an expression of that life, and the husband partners with that wife in all things, and the wife gives life, and helps the husband be an expression of life and partners with him. When they both are givers, it makes an amazing relationship. 
When one becomes a taker, it brings a little dysfunction in the relationship. When two become takers, it destroys the relationship. Because, see, our father is a giver. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. A moment in verse, uh, this is from God's perspective. And let's go all the way to Genesis 1 verse 26 and 28, where God, from his perspective, makes men. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, the plurality of God there is God the Father, God the Word, the Son, and God the Spirit. God is a trinity. You'll never find the word trinity in the Bible, but you'll never find God disconnected from the other two parts. <laughs> you'll always find the Father with the Word, the Son, and you'll find the, the Spirit with the Word. So God is a trinity. Why? Because he doesn't do relationship. He is relationship. To be love, he has to be a plurality. Because love gives. So there has to be, in the identity of who God is, there has to be within himself the ability to give life. Now, God says, he speaks to himself then. Now, in creation, whatever God spoke to, what was created must remain in the environment of what God spoke to, to, re, to be alive. So God spoke to the heavens to make planets. So to be a planet, it has to stay up in the sky. If it removes, if it gets removed from its environment, it's no longer a planet. It becomes a rock. It becomes a comet. It becomes something other than its original creation. Even what the Latin calls Lucifer, which the Bible in the Hebrew calls the star of the morning, when he became twisted from who he really was, he fell and became something that God didn't create him to be. So an archangel that refracted and reflected light became a fallen foe that seeks to destroy light. So he became a perversion. He, he was twisted in his identity. See, everything that God created has to remain in its environment to be a giver of life in its environment. Now, when God made trees, he spoke to the dirt, animals to the dirt. But when he made man, he didn't speak to the dirt. He spoke to himself. So the man part of you, male or female, is the spirit part of you that gives the eternal life identity to whatever expression you find in the journey. So you're in the physical on earth expression part of the journey. Someday, the physical on earth expression is going to be finished, and you're going to go to a greater glory, but you're still connected to the eternal life part of you. Your corruptible body is going to be overcome by an incorruptible body, but you're still going to have a body. You're still going to be a soul. You're still going to have a spirit. But the secret is, where is the eternal part of you? Where is your spirit joined? Is it joined to what God spoke to? If it's not joined to what God spoke to, it's going to lose its true identity. And what did God speak to? He spoke to himself. So the man part of us must remain connected to God's spirit to be the eternal spirit of us. The secret to my true identity is my personal connection to my father, God. Then in Genesis 2, when God formed from the earth, 
man, he's taking biological material, he's forming man, then he takes the man, puts it in the biological part, and becomes a humus man, human, dirt man, man in dirt, spirit in real estate. I call it, he made you spirit natural, spiritual. Angels are spirit, dogs are natural, and humans are spirit natural. So humans can bring the life of the spirit into the natural and make the natural an expression of the life of the spirit. So humans can deal in the real estate of the earth on behalf of a spirit father in heaven. And bring glory to God. Okay, now. But for that to happen, we have to find our true identity. So we have to remain connected to God as our father. So Genesis 1, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. No difference. Male and female is the likeness and the image of God. Together, they reveal the masculine, feminine nature of who God is. Then God blessed them. Mankind is a them. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over all of it. Now, to be fruitful is to be a blessing. Uh, I had wonderful fruitful trees this year. I've been canning all kinds of things because my fruit was very fruitful this year. Now, the testimony of fruitfulness is its ability to be a blessing, to give life to their world. My yard gave lots of life to me this year. I've got canned pears, I've got apples in jars, I've got dried apple chips, I've got berries, I've got jams, I've got all kinds of things, because the fruit of my, my world gave me life. Okay. Now, we were created in the likeness and the image of God. God doesn't need anything, so your true identity does not need anything. The more needy you are, the less you know who you are. Now, no shame, no condemnation because you have needs. Holy Spirit is here to help you in your true identity today. Now, you can't find your true identity if you compare yourself with someone else. Because you bring life to your world, they bring life to their world. So if you try to be them, you'll be a perversion of who you are. And everyone has the same value, a one and only. That's why the only begotten Son of God was the price to redeem you, to reconnect you to the place of your true identity. No one is less important or more important. If you have the ability to give life to one person, you are not less important than someone who has the ability to give life to 10,000 people. Why? You give life to the one person that the other person could not give life to. That's right. Now, if you have a grace to give life to 10,000 people and you're giving life to five, you are not living in your true identity. If you have the grace to give life to one, 
you have a supernatural grace to give life to one that the 10,000 wouldn't reach. And the value of everyone is a one and only. Amen. I've got personal testimonies on this because I've, I've had individuals that gave their whole life for one individual that I went to God and said, God, what is the deal on this? And he said, you're not even worthy to touch the strap on that person's foot. Their reward is far greater than yours. <laughs> Why? Because God is a friend. God is a, is, is a, is a father. Uh, you know, as a grandpa, I have a two and a half. I have a 15-year-old granddaughter now all the way down to two and a half. My, my little two and a half-year-old, she knows exactly who I am. You know who I am? I'm Gopa, her friend. Now, I'm not just grandpa. I'm Gopa, her friend. Now, how does she know that I, I'm her friend? Because I make myself her size. And I move into her world. I'm a really good grandpa. Why? Because I know how to be a friend. I don't make myself big. I make myself little. And I move into her world because she needs to know I'm her friend. My, my children who are grown, my two sons, my daughter, they're my best friends. They're all a piece of my friend God. My wife is my best friend. Okay, when I say best friend, they're all pieces. My wife says best friends, friends, they come in pieces. In this, this is my best friend. In that, this is my best friend. In this over here, that's my best friend. See, no one can fulfill all of the pieces because God is the only one who is the source of it all. So, to be fruitful is to be a blessing, to be who you are. When I find my true identity, I'm going to give life. To someone. Second, to multiply. That's to give life in a way that gives value to someone else and allows them to be life. To multiply is different than adding. He didn't say be fruitful, add to your life. No. Be a blessing. Now, help someone be a blessing. Okay? Help someone be a blessing and then fill. Let it. You'll even beyond that person into a wider sphere beyond what you could reach. Then subdue, which means to destroy death with life. That's why after the flood, after Noah's flood, God says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, and fill. He does not say subdue and have dominion. It isn't until Jesus is born. John 1 says he was full of grace and truth. Grace is the element that's needed to subdue. Grace is the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit that enables you to destroy death with life. To walk into a dark room and it becomes light. To touch sickness and it's healed. To subdue. See, subdue is nothing to do with taking anything. Fruitful has nothing to do with taking anything. Multiply has nothing to do with taking anything. Filling has nothing to do with taking. Subduing has nothing to do with taking. It's an expansion of the fruitfulness of the garden to the barren places of the world. And dominion is to crumble every lie with truth. I'm not talking about quoting scripture. I'm talking about becoming it. 
I like the fact that ladies are studying Acts. There's no amen on Acts, so just keep it. Keep it going. Ladies, get together. Do some more Acts. <laughs> Demonstrate the goodness of God. Okay, read about it, but there's no amen on the book, so be Acts. <laughs> so, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. That is the nature of your true identity. When I find who I am, the more I find who I am, I'm going to be able to be a blessing, to help someone else be a blessing, to see that even expand, to bring life to death, whatever that may look like today, and to exercise dominion, to crumble lies with truth. Life crumbles death. It's to take what grace has done and expand its boundaries. To expand the boundaries of life, okay? Now, in Genesis, we have a wonderful story after this. The likeness and image, of course, man falls, right? In Genesis chapter 4, we have a testimony of a man who did not know who he was. And a man who did know who he was. Okay, so Adam and Eve, they have a, a, a baby boy named Cain. And Cain, you read the story, Cain, in the process of time, he gives an offering to God from the fruit of the ground. But Abel is a second son that's born, and he brings the very first of his flock. He's a keeper of sheep. He brings the first of his flock, and then he brings the best. So he gives the first one that's born, and then when he has all of them, he picks out the fattest and gives that to God. So he gives God the first. He gives God the best. And it says that God respected Cain's, Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's, he respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering. Now, what was the difference between the two? First of all, there was not an offering problem. There was a revelation of who they are problem. Okay. Cain should have given God the first. Why? He was the firstborn. But Cain didn't see himself as a firstborn. He saw himself as a one and only. To be a firstborn, there would have to be a second. Or you would have the ability to be a one and only. Because the purpose of a firstborn is to be life for the second and the third and the fourth. Because that's the nature of God. He's a giver, not a taker. So, But Cain didn't see that. He saw, I'm a taker. So he, he looked to the ground as his source, not God. And then because he felt a little guilty after a process of time, he gave something of the ground to God. But Abel, he didn't even consider a process of time. He knew that life comes from God, so he actually acted like a firstborn because the firstborn didn't see who he was. Now, Jesus is the firstborn for us because there was a firstborn human being that opened the door for Jesus, and it wasn't Cain. It was Abel. Because Abel was the firstborn man who knew who he really was. He gave God the first. He gave God the best because God is first and God is the best. And so he gave God, he acted as a firstborn. 
And when he died, when he was murdered by his brother, his blood went into the ground and the ground cried out for a firstborn because there was a firstborn. So Jesus came. There's more to it, but basically someone found a true identity. Now, Cain, he didn't know who he was. So he ends up in verse... um, uh, verse 8, God had already told Cain, he says, Cain, you know, if you do well, I'll, I'll honor you too. Just remember who you are. And so now Cain, in verse 8, it says, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I like the Septuagint and some of the older manuscripts actually say, Cain talked Abel and said, let's go out to the field. In other words, he had a premeditated plan. Okay, When you don't know who you are, you'll go as far away from your life source as you can. Let's go out to the field. Let's get away from the source. Because man was formed in the field, but he was placed in the garden in a relationship with God. The field represents the place that you're going to, you're sent to to bring life, not the place that you live from. Cain didn't see himself connected to God. So he says to Abel, let's go out to the field. And when he's out in the field, he kills Abel. He murders him. And then God comes and says to him, he says, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I his friend? See, he should have been his brother's keeper. What is a keeper? Someone who's a friend. But Cain, Abel didn't see himself as, as uh, Cain didn't see himself as Abel's friend. He saw himself as himself. He didn't know his true identity. Because your true identity is the likeness and the image of God who's a life giver. That's what a friend is. So I believe there's a grace on the earth right now to heal our identities so that we'll be givers of life to our world as as God in pieces, God the friend. See, people who are afraid of God is because they don't know who he is. They don't know he's their friend. And God wants us to reveal God as the friend who brings life to heal. Now, 20 years ago, I told my son, Jonathan, and I wrote about it, said a few people, Debbie probably remembers. I talked about how the anointing oil in the the new millennium, God was going to release an element that was in the anointing oil called cassia. In the anointing oil, in Exodus chapter 30, it describes the anointing oil. If you want a reference for it, it's in Exodus 30 verses 22 through 30. And it describes in the anointing oil the ingredients that are in it. And the ingredient, the anointing oil is a, just a shadow, a type and shadow of the manifest presence of Holy Spirit inside and out of you and me that brings life and liberty, brings forth our true identity. So there's elements in the anointing oil that are a testimony of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in the anointing oil, there were certain spices and oils that were, that were put together in a particular way. One was myrrh. Myrrh is a burial oil that speaks of death and resurrection. 
So the anointing includes your death of your old man and the birth of your new man. So Christ in you is the guarantee of resurrection life, eternal life. You lose your life, you save it, lay it down, you find it. The life that I live, I live now by faith in Christ. That's the myrrh in the anointing oil. I believe in the 1960s and 70s, the body of Christ started really being merged as being many members meeting together to do body ministry, to love one another, to lose their life for the sake of living in Christ. I think that was very much in the anointing oil of the 60s and 70s. And then there's another ingredient here is, um, is sweet-smelling cinnamon. And then there's also sweet-smelling cane. There's cassia and there's olive oil, five ingredients. Like grace is the number five, right? So there's grace in this anointing oil. Now, I'm going to describe these as how I've seen them in my lifetime, how Holy Spirit is working at different graces, different anointings. So I believe that the, that the myrrh oil was really God emerging, a revolution of the body of Christ, body ministry, 60s, 70s. The 80s and 90s, I see the olive oil, which is the fatness, the prophetic substance. God speaks and life happens. There was a rebirthing of olive oil in the anointing in the 70s, 70s and 80s. The 90s was the manifest presence of God with lots of laughter. Some people got upset about laughing in church. Um, we've had worry in church for many years, and that's a sin, and nobody cast it out. Uh, I've had you know, gossip's been in church for a long time. Nobody cast that out. Laughter came to the church, and everybody cast, tried to cast it out. I, I don't understand, but anyway, uh, celebration in life, the experience of the manifest presence of God came. And, and that's like cinnamon. Song of Solomon describes it as what gives life to the, the marriage chamber. It's the awareness of his presence. Cinnamon. Okay? So the cinnamon is in the anointing, your awareness of his manifest presence, the power of his love. Okay? Then there's a, a, another ingredient called cassia, which is also a type of cinnamon. Okay? I told my son... In the 1990s, we're in the cinnamon. I told the church, I would say it. You know, people didn't always understand me. Sometimes I'd just shout out cinnamon. <laughs> and I'd see results. People get free from the cinnamon in the anointing. Okay, And then I said, you know, we're going to see the cassia oil. The last one that I've not taught on here yet is sweet cane, which is authority. I've written about it in my authority book. But sweet cane is the ability to walk in true authority that gives life. I believe that there, we haven't really seen that grace, that anointing. I think that's going to follow the cassia. I'm looking forward to sweet cane. It's a measurement, but it, it's like sugar cane. It, it makes you come alive. It releases you. I think we're going to see more of that. But the cassia oil is what I believe is happening right now. Now, cassia oil is very interesting because it's both healing and a laxative. And I told my son, the cassia oil is going to be a messy move of God. <laughs> because it's going to get you to get rid of things, let go of some things you don't need, and to receive some healing that you're not sure you want. <laughs> okay, now, the cassia oil, I've watched the cassia oil. Now, just in Portugal, I ministered on this. 
my translator, she was dealing with some illness. She was actually passing blood in her system. And she got a healing while we were preaching. And so the cassia oil, the cassia anointing. Uh, now, I'm going to tell you what cassia oil does. And I want you to think about, you see, the enemy's not a creator. He's a copycat. So whatever weapons you see formed are a counterfeit to the opposite of those weapons. So this is what the cassia oil can do. It contains properties for healing and also as a laxative. It has health benefits for treating constipation. If you can't get rid of things, you get constipated. Much of the church is constipated. And when you get constipated, it's something that no longer is useful that becomes poison to your system. And then pretty soon your speech starts getting bitter. Pretty soon, you, instead of being a, a giver, you become, you, you take on the, the ambience, the atmosphere of a, of a taker, someone who's not, you're not happy. Trust me, you're constipated, you aren't going to be happy. You, you're going to need a movement. <laughs> but it also is used to aid in various diseases such as respiratory, digestive, gynecological ailments. The benefits include breathing, digestion, reproduction, bowel movement. So right now, I believe that diseases... Are, are quite prevalent to attack the respiratory system, the digestive system, the reproduction system, and the freedom from the past system. <laughs> so it stimulates the blood flow to joints by strengthening the circulatory system. It's used to reduce swelling, rashes, and joint pain. It can treat arthritis and things possessing, it possesses anti-inflammatory and anti-rheumatic properties. And it also brings calmness and relieves stress. Now, in the world, I believe that we're seeing manifestations of things that affect your respiratory system, your circulation, your movement, your joints. Uh, your, there's, there's anxiety. Some days you'll go out, some days... Some days you, you wake up, you'll go out, you think it's a normal day, and it just feels anxious. Anybody? Okay, because it's in the it's in the spirit, it needs a healing. Okay. Now, you don't need to go attacking it. You just need to be a manifestation of someone who is walking with the grace of the anointing of the cassia oil. That means let go of things in your life that you don't need. You don't need to be an influence or you don't need what don't what does God say you don't need? You don't need to be an enemy to your enemy. Your enemy's doing fine all on their own. <laughs> an enema to the enemy. That's it. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> it's okay to get an enema. Just don't get it. Don't be an enemy. That's it. <laughs> so I believe that it's part of restoring our true identity. Our true identity is the ability to give life, to be flexible. I'm, I'm 67. 
I have to be teachable. I have to be more teachable this year than I was last year. If not, I'm exercising a testimony of being old instead of being eternal. Okay, now, our physical body gets old, but remember who you are. You are eternal. You're connected to eternal life. So deal with the old issues by an attitude of eternal realities. <laughs> Challenges. I heard that word today. We get through the challenges. Isn't that a wonderful word? Challenges. Okay. Let's take challenges and say this is an opportunity for us to be who we really are. Now, how do I know that I'm living in who I really am? I am my brother's keeper. I'm a friend. I'm a friend in my world. Somebody needs a friend. Now, I get it. If you need a friend, I get it. But you can't live your whole life needing friends. At some point, you've got to realize, I'm a friend. Then God will send friends to you. God will be. God is your friend. He wants to meet every need that you have. Okay? But you can't, you know, when we don't know who we are, then we fall into this victim mentality. Okay? A victim mentality is, I don't have any friends. See, a victim needs a problem, and a victim needs an enemy. But when you realize you have a friend that can deal with any problem, you no longer have a problem that depends on an enemy. Did you hear what I said? When you realize you got a friend who can deal with any problem, you no longer have an enemy who, who the reason to have a problem. Because you have a friend. God is my friend. I was created in your likeness and your image, Father, so that I could reveal you in pieces. Now, you won't be able to be the friend that God is in every piece. But you'll be a piece of the friend. Now start looking at others to see your friend God. Even your enemies. I call them, you know, the people that, that drive on the road really slow. <laughs> where you should drive fast. I call those saint perfectors. Maybe you're one of those. There's lots of saint perfectors. Saint perfectors are people who get in front of you to manifest you as a saint. <laughs> now we're all saint perfectors in some way we we manifest something that irritates somebody so they'll manifest who they really are or maybe they'll manifest who they aren't and they'll realize they just need to get a bowel movement <laughs> see you know it's not who you really are when it stinks come on good when it changes the environment of the room in a way that affects others because of the smell, you are not being true to who you really are. Okay, no condemnation, no shame. Everybody needs to poop. This may be a shock for you, but Jesus pooped. I'll go one more step. Jesus farted.
He was human like us. But he didn't retain it. He didn't try to stop it from coming. He did it in the appropriate place. Even the Bible teaches if you need to poop, you go outside the camp, you dig a hole, and you bury it so no one steps in it. Everybody has some ish. Just don't let your ish end up on somebody else's shoe. <laughs> because if it does, then it becomes an issue. <laughs> Only works in English, but I'm in English-speaking reality right now. <laughs> so I believe we're finding our true identity. Now, the world's crying out for it. I was talking to a group. I got home on Tuesday. Wednesday, I did Zoom teaching to Colorado to a group of young people. And the millennial generation, the Z generation, have, uh, have put on their, their bodies piercings and tattoos. Now, I believe, I'm going to tell you what I believe this is. I believe there's a generation that's been born that's very sensitive. If, if you have piercings, it's because you probably called to have some discernment and sensitivity. I'm, I'm not saying condoning piercing or, conde or condemning piercing. I'm just saying piercings are a sign of a generation that is destined for discernment. Tattoos is a sign of a generation that God is calling to find identity. Now, listen to me now. Anything that you get, okay, so, so in, a, in a generation that's crying out, there's a generation birth. See, see, my generation, we didn't want our identity. We wanted to be all cookie cutter the same. Get over it, suck it up. We're all the same. Toughen up. Generation before me was, I can't even tell you I love you because I love you. And if I tell you I love you, it'll make you weak. So get over it. That's the depression era. <laughs> If you know, if you had parents that came out of the depression, that whole generation, that was their way of loving. We can't tell you because that's loving. We don't want you to be weak. You've got to be able to get through. Okay? I get it. Okay? Now, the present generation is crying out for something that God wants to give us, our true identity. There's only one of you. So we mark ourselves, we pierce ourselves to give us uniqueness because we know in our hearts we're unique. Okay? Now, the piercings and the tattoos, Jesus has piercings and tattoos. But he doesn't get his identity from his piercings or his tattoos. His piercings and, identity and tattoos give identity to you. He didn't take a single piercing for himself. He took your piercing. He didn't get tattooed so that he would know who he was. He knew who he was, so he was willing to be tattooed for you. Now, I'm not saying if you've got tattoos, you're bad, or if you don't, you should go get one. Or I'm not saying anything about tattoos or piercing. I'm saying there's a generation that's crying out for authenticity and truth. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. good. And when we discover authenticity and truth, we realize we were born to bring life to our world. I'm a piece of God. He's our friend. And everybody needs a friend. And the cassia oil is here in the manifestation of Holy Spirit to heal our flexibility, our joints, so that we can be a friend. We can change, willing to change, willing to have joints that can change and move and be flexible. Our digestion so that we can receive things 
that make us become who we are instead of rejecting what is food to us, but also movement to let go of things that don't define who we are. Let go of things, experiences that created things that are lodged in us, like unforgiveness, resentment, pride, whatever it might be, to let it go and not be ashamed of having to use the bathroom, having to let something go. <laughs> and, and also the ability to breathe, a respiratory. I think COVID is a, is a counterfeit sign of what God wants to bring of our ability to breathe, to uniquely be who we are, okay? So the Cassia anointing. So I'm going to pray for us because I believe that, uh, I, you know, things that I hear today, just as I've come in here, I've heard that, uh, the, I've heard that there's challenges. I've heard that there's weapons that have been formed. I've also heard the sound of a family who wants to rise up above the weapons that have been formed. Amen. Amen. So the stronger, the stronger sound than what the enemy's doing is, I hear the sound of family. So I want you to focus on the sound of family is stronger than the sound of having to overcome the enemy because family always wins. Amen. Yeah. God is your friend, and he wants you to be the likeness and the image of him in the expression of who you really are. You're a friend to someone. You are your brother's keeper. You are a friend. Glenn in the woods needs someone to hear his story. You may never see them again, but you're a piece of bringing life to your world. Okay? So, why don't we stand up? Uh, God, I know that in the earth there's a generation, a prophetic generation, and another generation that's crying out for authenticity, crying out for, for the real thing, the family of God to manifest. And we're crying out for it. We're hearing it. We're responding to it. Thank you, God, that each of us in this room have the ability to touch somebody and we're actually commissioned and sent. We're not sent to make converts of the world. We're sent to make disciples. To put individuals under the discipline of mercy and grace. To disciple them. To let them know who you are. Not with Bible programs. But with real life connections. You've sent us to submerge those in our world into the identity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not just in the form of water baptism, but into the body of Christ. To know who they really are. You have sent us to teach as you taught, to model what a friend looks like. Jesus, you spent three and a half years with your men demonstrating to them what God your Father looked like. A friend. At the end of your time, Jesus, you said to those who thought they were servants, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And then you demonstrated the friend God by giving your life upon the cross as the friend. You have also said that you are manifestly with us. 
every step of the way. So would you just manifest this week in who you are as our friend? Would you manifest through us to others as a friend? We welcome your Cassia anointing. If we need to let something go, we let it go. We let it go. And we receive healing to respiratory areas right now. Holy Spirit touch us even physically. If there's any respiratory conditions, any oxygen deprivation, any inability to circulate life. Just let that be healed by the touch of your Holy Spirit right now. Oh, Shata Ramasa. Would you heal digestive systems, spirit, soul, and physical right now? Just to heal inner organs, the deepest places, the secret places, the places that assimilate and process food. Anything that's not life, we let it go. Anything that is life, we receive it. I break off the power of words that have been spoken that have affected the digestive system. Anything that doesn't belong in our system, I call it to be passed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, cast your anointing, come now and allow there to be a freedom from constipation, spirit, soul, and physically. Anything that's been lodged and tried to poison us as sons and daughters, as the family. We only receive that which can be digested and we pass that which cannot be digested. What can be digested brings life to our body. What cannot be digested is simply passed. We release it in Jesus' name. Bring healing to places that are swell, swollen, maybe joints, relationships been strained, wounds that we've had, whether it be in, in marriage or friendships or community. And our ability to be members of your body. Anywhere there's inflammation, a rash, a joint condition, we call a healing to come now by your cassia oil. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We commit this week to you that we would hear you in the cool of each day. And that we would respond to you, that we would hear you and know your pleasure. And that we would live pleasing to you. We are not here to earn anything. You've already demonstrated you didn't come to get anything from us. You came to give everything to us. And you want us to be authentic and real. To be able to give life to our world. And you come to restore fruitfulness, multiplication, filling, subduing, and dominion. Life, 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 life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you that your favor is on this house and favor is on the homes, individuals, families of this house. Thank you, favor is on our workplaces this week. Thank you that in our workplaces, there are many who need a friend. That you would grace us, you are gracing us, you have graced us to manifest you in a peace. In Jesus' name. Thank you that we have P-E-A-C-E -E so that we can be a P-I-E-C-E -E to somebody Thank you that we have peace with you so that we can be a piece of your life to somebody this week.
Help us to be small to those who are small, big to those who are big. Like I am with my grandchildren, help us to move into worlds and not require them to move into our world for us to be their friend. Thank you that the grace is here for this. You're healing identities. You're healing identities. I have a father who loves me. Can you say it? My father loves me. I'm a child of God. I'm an overcomer because my friend empowers me to overcome all things. I'm connected. Therefore, I cannot be disconnected. Thank you that I am a giver of life. As a dad, as a mom, whatever the case might be. As a friend. So let life increase. I'm so grateful, Father, that this is the season of the people of God, the family of God. Bring healing to the nations. In Jesus' name. Amen.